So we have more snow right now than we've had, I guess, since we've moved back to Kentucky. Like we have like three inches of snow and then an inch of ice and three inches of snow and then an inch of ice. It's so weird walking on it, but you guys are probably covered, right? Well, when is it going to let up for you guys and the guys south of you? Like when is that? It seems like it's ongoing. Usually like your snow falls in Texas well, it, or something and it's just like one few minute event. Seems like it's going on. Well, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a solid day of it for us. And then today there shouldn't be anything tomorrow. There shouldn't be anything. And then we get more of it on Thursday. Wow. So, you know, by the weekend, I think we'll be, clear of it i mm. expect i don't know i'm no doctor it's amazing though it's funny to see the snow really hanging around texas and so many people dealing with that uh if you yeah. guys paid attention to my instagram on valentine's day you saw my frozen pipe event which wasn't such a big deal it was just hard to diagnose once i figured it out it wasn't a big deal but the idea of living in a house in texas like for instance april has been dealing with a lot of frozen pipes and several other people you see on instagram you know, it's no joke having a broken pipe especially in the South where people aren't really prepared for it or even ever know how to deal with it. Not that you don't know how to deal with it. You just got to, it's hard to diagnose where the problem is or what caused it. And it's funny to just see so many people dealing with it in the South. I just can't imagine how many cracked pipes are going to occur from this freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily we, we have power. We're good. We, um, get our gas. Apparently our gas company sent out a thing saying that our pipeline that we get our gas from is connected down to Texas. And so it showed this map of like this big path that the gas has to go through to get here. And because of the temperature all throughout that region, the gas inside the pipes has con- or is like a shrunk. It's smaller in volume than it is at normal temperatures. And that's causing a difference in pressure at all of the different outlets and everybody's houses for the gas comes out. So, they're asking people throughout that entire region to turn down their thermostats to help equalize the pressure throughout the entire pipeline. Oh, it's wow. crazy. Like, that doesn't even what? make sense to me that that's a... There should be mechanisms to stop yeah. that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but there's some weird word for it, too. I was trying to look it up really quickly. But they sent this email out with this strange word that I'd never heard and a picture of gas lines. So, anyway. But we, luckily, are not having to deal with any of that stuff. So we we're in Toledo. We got twelve and a half inches of snow, and they told us that like that's like one of our top ten snowfalls in the history of Toledo. And then with the previous snowfalls, there's actually seventeen inches of snow on the ground, which is the most snow that's been on the ground since the seventies. And it doesn't. Comp- I can't comprehend that because tell me if your childhood is distorted, but. I remember as a kid, the snow being so high that, you know, it was taller than me. And then we always got 12 yeah. inches of snow. Like, I, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, no, as a kid, we got this all the time. But I don't know. I remember I snow on Long Island. The snow was always as tall as, you know, a 10-year-old in the winter. I remember, you know, shoveling on top and then having paths to walk through. It's crazy. And, you know, as we got older, the snow the snow's mild, more mild and mild and mild. But it definitely seems more cutting cold as time goes on. Yeah. It's actually, Hmm. I took a screenshot of it and posted it on Twitter. My phone app says it's negative zero outside. (laughs) As if zero wasn't bad enough. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Then we got another snowstorm coming, I think, on Friday, which is bonkers. Yeah. 
Well, I hope everybody out there listening is warm and safe and yes. has what they need because I know it's it's tough for a lot of people right now. Luckily, we uh, the three of us are not dealing with power outages, but all those people that are, I hope you find what you need for sure. Um, what have you guys been up to? Are you snowed in? Like, are you are you stuck? And the, the guys haven't been into work. They came in for part of Monday, but then it was coming down so much that they had to leave so they could make sure they got home. Are you having trouble working or anything? No, we, um, our city crew did an amazing job. We had 12 and a half inches of snow overnight, two nights ago. And then I was able to go to the grocery store yesterday. So, I mean, they, they were working throughout the night. Like we were, I think we were getting one inch of snow of one inch of accumulation every hour, which is, uh, you know, that's, that's hard to keep up with when you, when you're plowing roads. And but by the afternoon, all the roads were cleared. The city did a great job, and I was able to go to the store and get some dog food. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly's work closed yesterday, but today she's back to work. Yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been uh, bad. It's just blistering cold, and my house is up on a hill, like regionally in the area. It's not like the only house on the hill, but where I am, it kind of swells up, and it's the wind is just unbelievably cold. So right wherever my house is right now, wherever whatever the temperature is, it's usually about five degrees colder right here at the house. And the yesterday I had an interesting happenstance because of the weather. I went to pull out of the driveway, and my just as you get to the edge of my driveway, it uh, it crests down. It's a slope down to the main road, and it's about uh, I don't know, it's about 30, 30 yards. So just as I got to the top of the crest of the hill, and then I started to go down, I realized I was just sliding on ice, and I had no oh, brakes. No. Ooh. And I just slid straight out onto the main road. I had no control. Oh, and as I man. slid past my bushes, I just said, I hope there's no 18-wheeler coming because this is the end of it. There's nothing I could do. I would have slid directly in front of mm. a car that wouldn't have been prepared for me. And thankfully, as I passed the hedges, I could see that there was no cars coming. And I just took my foot off the brake and just coasted right into a right turn to go down to the milk run. But that was my pretty goodness. scary. It's one of those yeah. moments where you say... Uh, you know, we had series of obviously there was just ice, but I, I I didn't expect it. I didn't, you know, I could see if I don't pull all out of my out of my driveway, I could see that there is or isn't anybody coming. But in this case, you know, if I there's like a spot like just as I pass the house, I could see all the way down the road to see if anybody's coming. But before I realized to even look, I was sliding, and I just said, God, I just hope there's nobody coming. And I just slid straight. Like imagine just driving out of your driveway with your eyes closed. That's what it felt like. And. Uh, thank crazy. God. But uh, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you just never know where it's going to come from or when it's going to happen. And I thought, oh, this mm. is it. It's a good run. Oh, man. It's a good run. And uh, anyway, so that wasn't a big deal. But ice and snow, it's 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 really, it's difficult to navigate. Like every, It's actually tough on the psyche, too, because a lot of people, you know, you still want to leave the house. You don't want to wake up. You don't want to get started. You know, versus when it's a nice spring day and you feel like you can conquer the world, but you just got to keep pushing through. And I just focus on my to-do list, try and get the things on my to-do list done. This week I'm building, although it won't be my video this week, but I am building a barbecue. I'm building a smoker for Lincoln Electric video. And we, the video will start out with me and Mike, Mike the fireman. We went and pulled an old compressor out of the, out of the arcade room at the, at the racetrack there was a compressor that was used for the shoot the star out game and it had been uh, seized and abandoned in there. So it hadn't moved probably in 25 years. So we took it off of its base and dragged it out and cut off the top and dragged it in the snow. So this, this video is going to start 
in like two feet of snow. We're dragging this thing out. And then hopefully next week, there's leaves on the trees and it's sunny and we could barbecue out in the sun. <laughs> That'd be great. I don't know what's I don't know what's gonna happen, but we'll, we'll be probably smoking in the snow. Video Take some have to be done immediately, so it's gonna be a kind of a slow. Probably have it done in, in about two weeks. What what tape? Definitely do some B roll, some pan and scans of the snow, just in case when you do fire it up, it's there's leaves on the tree and it's sunny, and you can like <laughs> mix those two <laughs> yeah. together. No, only unless I can get into a DeLorean that goes backwards is the only way I'll be able to get leaves on the trees because this has to be done in like <laughs> 10 days. But in general, uh. <laughs> it's uh, it's a fun build. And then besides that, I'm, uh, um, you know, it's funny. We're going to talk about things that you learned that you didn't, that you never did. What was the topic that we're going to do? How, how, is, what is it in a sentence? Learn something new. <laughs> okay. Learn something new that you never did. I embellished a little bit, but. I never knew how a smoker worked. I wasn't ever, I'm not really, I wouldn't consider myself a cook, although I do know how to make mac and cheese and ramen really good. I don't, I never knew how a smoker (laughs) worked. And I was completely under the impression that that smoker box on one side and the entire cavity of the smoker had coals in it. And I never understood like, why could you have coals there and there? But in all reality, the smoker box is the fire and the chamber is just the heat chamber. There's no coals underneath the grill there. And that was my misunderstanding all this time. You guys know what I mean? Like a, 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 an offset smoker. So yeah. when you see like a big drum or a big tank sideways, and there's a box on the side of it, the only fire is in that box. That's where the heat is generated. And then it passes through the chamber and then out of the flue, and you can control the heat with dampeners and stuff. I never knew that. So... Learned something new this week. Huh. Anyway, I mean, I, I learned it over the last couple of weeks doing research on this project. But uh, the other thing I'm working on this week is leather tabs. I have one here in front of me. I'm doing the slot and tab thing for uh, my next Weaver video. And this is an idea I had a long time ago. I'm showing you guys at this moment in time. So this is, I, I never thought there would be enough meat and potatoes to make a video about this. Because it's just laser cut <laughs> and my cat just jumping in it's just laser cut and put together and that's that. But this video is going to be more about the research and development of this concept and not necessarily about, hey, look, ta-da, finished piece. At the end, of course, there'll be finished pieces, but there'll be several finished pieces in various stages of various stages of this is good, this is better, I learned from this one, I moved to that one. So iteration is going to be sort of the, the topic of this video again with the idea of starting out. The first laser cut was on paper just to see how the physicality of the idea worked and then i did a couple of versions in paper adjusting the, the file each time and then uh, i went to leather and then another leather and then so the final ones are two big ones that i can put my computer in and it's uh it's going to be an interesting video so that's what i'm working on now if you see a lot of the instagram stories about that's the leather cool. tab and slot but through all through it all i'm working through the cold there was a moment in time where we ran out of it snowed a couple of weeks ago here in New York, which is typical. So it wasn't a huge news event. It snowed and we couldn't get propane back to the Black Barn and because it wasn't plowed. And so we ran out of propane in the Black Barn for about three days. So it went cold. If it's 10 degrees out, it's 10 degrees in the barn. And that's what my laser is. And tail is like, are we gonna, do we have to worry about the laser and the cold? And for a minute I panicked, but then I remembered I had put glycol in it, like a 50-50 mix of clear glycol to prevent the uh, the freezing. So in a panic, I ran into the, just to see, like, because it's the first time I really had a deep freeze, with, even though it has the uh, 
the the uh, antifreeze and, and thankfully I was okay, but I did get nervous. So that's another thing to consider with this people who have lasers and stuff and aren't prepared for a deep freeze. You got to really be careful. Your lasers will break with the cold. Yeah, if you, anything if you're that running, has like a water. I mean, even the yeah. even the the laser. Like if you had the laser in a place where it was frozen, all that water can expand and crack. Your laser. You know, anything that has water in it, any tool uh, would have that same issue. Yeah. That's crazy. And then uh, I, just a one quick little follow-up. I did an Instagram story on Valentine's Day where I came to the house. I, I spent, uh, Taylor and I spent the night away from the house, and I got a call from Willie. said that there's water coming out of the heating pipe. And long story short, we had two cracks in a broken pipe, and my pellet stove broke at the same time. And then oh, I always man. say when you have like a crack, it's got to be the symptom of something bigger. And so it took me till the next day to diagnose it, but I had a circulator pump on that heating line that wasn't pushing any water through it. So the still water that was sitting there froze and cracked the pipe, but the motor itself was like smoking, smoking hot. So my remedy was I hit the, uh, the, the circulator pump with a hammer a few times and it got it going again. So that's a quick fix. It's not the ultimate fix. I need to have a couple of those motors replaced. They're very old. If you go in your basement, the circulator pump is usually that green pump. That's There's usually a few of them. If your house has three zones, this should be three of them. When you dial that nest or that thermostat, it triggers that pump to start circulating hot water to that zone. So if you have three thermostats, you should have three circulator pumps in your house. I happen to have five, so there's five thermostats. And mine was seized. It could have been debris in the line that got in the impeller. Could have been anything, but I whacked the impeller shell and I impacted the mo- I hat, hat banged on the motor and I got it going again. But the reason I bring that up is, you know, the reason that pipe froze is because there was no hot water going to it. There was no hot water going to it because the the circulator pump was frozen. So there you go. And then also the pellet stove broke at the same time. But everything's fixed now. Huh? Man. Yeah. That's rough. A bunch of stuff happens all at the same time. <laughs> you gotta be prepared, like and then you slide into out of your room. <laughs> you fix everything, and then you slide in front of an eighteen wheeler. Then that's the end of it. <laughs> and it's curtains for you. <laughs> but that's it. Well, David, what are you even up to? So it is February seventeenth. One month from today, March seventeenth is supposed to be the first go kart race, which is totally mm. bonkers when there's seventeen inches of snow on the ground. Um, so <laughs> I've been. Um, I built one motor and I'm working on a second motor and that that second one is the one I'm filming and I started filming the first one and then I thought you know what I better try to figure out some some things first so um and then the reason I have two different motors is I'm running in two different leagues which have slightly different rules one can be built a little bit bigger so that's the one I finished first. It starts, it runs, it seems to be fine. Um, I haven't been able to put it on a cart and put a load on it to see if it's fine, but I think it's going to be great. And it was such a good feeling to have it, to hear it, and to actually see something that I built. So, um, yeah, so that was, and so I've been, and then also over the winter, I took the go-kart frame that I ran last year, and there were some things I didn't like about it it kind of had like this homemade throttle kit on there and then the front spindles weren't as a they weren't adjustable so i sold that i got a different used one and i took that used one took it to a local place and had them sandblast it and powder coat it and it looks 
brand new. It's got this candy apple red. And it's almost uh like it it looks brand new. Like like it like it's just off the factory floor and the backyard leaks with that I run, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to to use it because everybody's using like, you know, <laughs> like a, a 10, 15 year old cart and it's all cruddy and and I'm gonna be rolling in with a new cart and possibly a new cargo trailer. And I don't I don't know that just I don't want to be the guy, you know, that comes in with all the equipment, yeah. but it's just it is what it is. So um I if if so the, there's two leagues that I'm running in the next year. The, the league that starts on March 17th, I'm not going to run every single race, and I'm not running for points. So if it's like 30 degrees, I won't be going. I'm not. It's not worth me suffering. So there's that. We are. Um, uh, Dan didn't come over on Tuesday because of the snowstorm, but he is coming over either tomorrow or Friday, and we're going to do this overview video of my Stepcraft CNC. And we're gonna carve this big design into my workbench. It's this the CNC has one of the cool things about it is it has its normal table, and then it has a second table below that. So you could see and see something that has a, a very large height. And then you can also remove that second table and CNC below it. So you could take it to a floor and carve a design into a floor. So we're gonna take it over to my bench. And I drew up this just kind of abstract piece of art. And I'm going to carve it in there, and it's going to have some wanna inlay, and then some very colorful. Um, some parts are going to be inlaid with walnut, and some parts are going to be just be filled with colorful epoxy to give my bench some sort of weird, crazy design. And uh, so that's what we're working on. Uh, it's weird because I've had this. I've, I really, really like my, my workbench. It's got a nice three-inch top, and it's out of this beautiful maple that has a nice patina over spilling paints and stains and, and working on it. And uh, hopefully I don't, I don't ruin it. If I do mess something up, it, I guess it's thick enough where I could plane it down and, and go again. But so there's, hmm. it's, um, I'm, I'm a little nervous just carving into something that's, you know, the, the, the main tool on my shop. So, yeah. And then, um, where so i don't do you remember me talking about my shoulder i was just going to suggest you i was going to say one thing to keep in mind when you go to do something like that is always think of your b plan like when everything goes haywire (laughs) yeah always keep in mind what what plan b could be because if you make a mistake you can go right into plan b and it looks like you planned it so you don't you're not sitting there scratching your head think of it the whole time while you're working like okay if this bit breaks or if i lose track or if it misreads the tape you know Anyway, that's just what I always I always go through yeah. in my the, head. Plan Plan B is if uh, if I if I screw something up, there is no inlay. It's just all an epoxy into the whatever I carve out. And since it's this abstract design, that'll be the plan the whole time. And I'll just have Brandon right. cut this Melted part crayons. of the podcast out. Yeah, yeah, fill it with crayon. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you guys my shoulder was weird and and sore. And I went and got an x-ray and the x-ray came back negative. And now my arm falls asleep all the time. So Mm. the next step is some sort of nerve test in my neck and back or possibly an MRI. So I've been dealing with some stupid old man shoulder stuff for the last six weeks and just won't go away. They gave me steroids and that like 
instantly took away all the pain. But then yesterday was my last day of the steroids, and I can feel the pain creeping back in. Huh. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get some answers for that. That's that stuff's no fun. Has that stopped you from like doing any any type of work that you wanted to do, or is it just yeah. annoying? And it, it's just a, it's just annoying. I can pick up things fine. Like I, I don't have I don't have any issue picking up anything. It's just it just hurts, and that's and I can't even I can't press on anything. Like I, I can press on my shoulder, and that doesn't hurt at all. It's like it's like a deep inside pain that's just annoying. So. Yeah, it's not it's not affecting anything. Well, um, let's see. The video we have coming out this week is something I did a couple of weeks ago. I made a coat rack, which started out as a towel rack, and then it ended up just being, <laughs> yeah, it ended up being too bulky, kind of for the bathroom that it was. We were planning on putting it in because we did a bathroom uh, kind of quick renovation uh, a couple months back. And I love how the bathroom turned out. It's really nice and crisp and everything is clean and white and, you know. And so I tried to make a little wooden and brass uh, towel rack to put on the wall. And by the time I got done with it, I was making it up kind of as I went. And by the time I got done, it was just like too big. It just didn't, I don't know, it didn't fit. But it did fit on a white wall near our front door. So I'm like, well, I mean, Towels and coats are both things that have to hang from things, so we can just make it into the other thing. So anyway, we we did that. It's kind of it's not like a super original idea or anything, but it's a stack, a horizontal stack of pieces of walnut and then a couple of pieces of brass, and then inside of it, there's a pivot point in the brass piece, so you can grab the top of the brass and pull it out, and it like leans out at an angle, and then you can hang something on it. So. You know, when it's pushed, when the brass pieces are pushed flush, it kind of just looks like a piece of wall art or something. It's just this kind of butcher block walnut chunk with a few brass stripes in it. I, I think it looks really, really nice. It's not incredibly unique or anything, um, but, you know, we're happy with it. That turned out. And so that's coming out this week, but I'm, I'm anxious. I'm super anxious to talk about next week's video. Because, and you guys have been, I've been showing you progress. We've been making guitars. So Ooh. I made a an electric guitar. Uh, Josh made a bass. We're going about it two totally different ways. Uh, it's ended up being two videos worth. And we finished them on Monday. And man, I am so happy with oh, how cool. it turned out. Plays great. Like... There's there's one little visual thing on it that I wish was different, but it, otherwise, like I I'm just extremely happy about it. Um, How far so did I didn't you go? Make did the you neck. Make, I was gonna, just going to ask: Did you make the neck and the headstock? No. Yeah. No, no, no. I decided to go with the Stratocaster neck because that's kind of my favorite neck to play, and um, so I built the body for mine out of just by hand with a router, and then. Uh, put a neck on it, Josh built his neck and his body all on the CNC. So we kind of took two different paths to get to a guitar with different methods and different focus and different intention and all that type of stuff, but we did them side by side, so the videos are about those two different processes happening in tandem, which I think turned out pretty cool. Is there a special bit just for doing the frets that you can get for the CNC? Um, He used a, a bit that is used for making PCB boards. 
So it's not specific to that, but you know, one that's so small uh, is what you would typically make if you were going to make PCBs, and they also work for frets. And he broke apparently three of them before <laughs> getting the frets done. <laughs> they're Noted tiny. They're like, it's like a hair. Did he do yeah. two-sided, or did he just do one side and then do the other side by hand? Or do you his not stuff is all two-sided. Away? Okay. No, no, no. His stuff is all two-sided, and it comes with a bunch of challenges. So, you know, he, he ended up finishing it, but along the way, we both ran into lots of issues that we didn't foresee. So I think you both ran into a bunch of things of that makes a video really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and definitely, there's definitely a reason that it's two videos. We'll, we'll put mm-hmm. it that way, you know. Um, but we're both, I think, very happy. I'm at least to speak for myself. I'm extremely happy with how it came out and the process. Like I, I enjoy making all of the things that I make, whether it comes off in the video or not. I just enjoy the, you know, turning parts into something else whether that's for visual or for function. And I always enjoy it. But making a guitar, a thing that I wanted, there's a specific design that I've always kind of been interested in that I've never even seen up close. And I made that guitar. And I was loving the entire process. I've never spent so much time with a router, ever. And like all of my time with a router was nothing compared to this. But it it was so much fun and I'm actually anxious to do another guitar, which I don't need, and I don't know when I'll do, but uh, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it and happy with how it came out. So I'm excited for that to come up in the next couple of weeks to show people you know, how that turned out. But that's kind of, those two things have been the, the big stuff for me the last couple of weeks, and just continuing on the kitchen, uh, trying to make those decisions about you know where things are going and what materials we're going to use and now we're thinking about um, probably making all the cabinets myself rather than buying cabinets. I think I decided that it would be more valuable to the audience for me to use that as an opportunity to talk about cabinet construction and the options and like, you know, how you could maybe the cost versus buying. Because I mean, like you outfit a, a this is going to be a pretty big kitchen. You outfit a big kitchen with custom cabinets from a company. It's like it's like 15 grand or a lot of money. 30 grand, depending on... It's so expensive. And you then have to navigate who whomever's website to figure out which kind of insert you want in which place and this and that. And, the you know, if we just make them, we can, like, look at, say, that one right there. I want it to have three drawers and this and that and, you know. So we're looking at, at the kitchen. I was going to say, cabinets, really, if you look at it, it's like 80% hidden. It's really just the face and the yeah. doors. So right. the construction, I'm not saying it has to be sloppy, but I'm saying there's, there's a lot of opportunity to hide, you know, less less expensive materials yeah. internally and stuff like that. So, And then CNC, yeah. you could see and see a lot of regularity, all the side panels and so on. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about CNC because we're, we're looking at a pretty clean, you know, look for the entire thing. But one of the ideas was to, to do uh, full overlay doors so that they're frameless, the the cabinets are frameless, and that way, the only thing you'll see from the front is the door panel. So if we decide that we want to change the style of the door panels down the road, or if we want to add texture, maybe with the CNC, you know, to to give it some sort of a crazy texture on the front, it's a matter of replacing those panels, not starting from scratch or working around some frame thickness that you know doesn't work in five years or something to that effect. David, you have something to say? Just. 
something you may want to look at. I don't, maybe it's not interesting for you or for your audience, but there's some software. I think it's called Mosaic and it, and it's just for CNC and kitchen cabinets. So you design up your hmm. cabinets in there and then it throws it out it, uh, on a flat sheet and you can cut it out of uh, plywood and stuff. So oh. something, something gotcha. to look at maybe. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, we, we're spending a lot of time on the kitchen stuff just going through. I mean, really, we're still trying to pick a range because that's the big... I think I talked about this last week. That is the heart, and at least in our design, everything builds out from where that range is and the size of that range and the needs of the hood above that range. And so we, we're narrowing it down. We're getting down to a couple of companies and a couple of specific products. We're waiting on color samples to come up in from those uh, those companies so we can figure out exactly you know which color we want. And that's all delayed because of the weather. <laughs> like we haven't gotten mail in the last several days. So I don't know when those are going to come, but we have to start really soon on the kitchen. So uh, we're going to be kind of jumping into this without all the plans made, which is really weird for me. Like I don't always have plans for everything. You know, I don't, I don't think through it to the very end, especially something as big as a renovation, but I feel like I would typically have a little bit more figured out than we have right now but we have to jump in because we're going to lose our window of time just given, uh, you know, like a bunch of life stuff and work stuff. And like we have a, a section of time right now where it's going to be doable to jump into the kitchen. And if we wait a month and a half to start, then we're in soccer season and we have like four or eight soccer practices a week and four games on the weekend. And that makes a complete renovation totally different, you know? So we're in this little gap of like needing to start trying to figure out basically the first segment that like all the stuff we need to start. And then as we're doing that, we're going to have to be figuring out the next step and then designing the cabinets. And then while we're doing that, we have to be ordering stuff so that when the cabinets are done, they can come measure for countertops. And, you know, it's getting all these different stages lined up correctly and trying to figure that stuff out. But it's exciting. Um, it's just, it's a lot to kind of handle every night when we sit down, they put the kids to bed and then we sit down and we're like, we could watch TV or we could look at ranges again, <laughs> <laughs> or we could talk about which hood we need to get again, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's, that's what we've been into. So last week off the cuff, one of us said something about learning new things. And I was trying to think about this yesterday and i couldn't remember exactly what the criteria was <laughs> do you remember what we said i think we had to just come back to the table with something learned something new learned okay i think so i couldn't remember if there was like a if it was something useless or something i don't remember something outside i don't of think our there were scope. any parameters <laughs> yeah i i, no. I vaguely remember right. something outside of scope but i was right in our scope so i probably broke the rules <laughs> <laughs> cheater well, uh, does anybody have the thing they want to... I can jump in since I, I did it like four hours ago. Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. Go for it. Uh, Taylor is working on... Uh, Bob, thank you for helping Taylor this week. Taylor is having some issues with uh, Fusion. I guess the, we might have talked about this, but if you upgrade Fusion, if you have Fusion and everything works fine, don't upgrade it. If you get the upgrade notice, just ignore it. Bob, would you suggest that? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Put it off as long as you can. <laughs> yeah, you'll eventually you'll have to do it. But um, if you upgrade Fusion, it forces you to behind certain pay things. And so Taylor found that out the hard way this week. She upgraded and realized she didn't have access to some files and she wasn't able to export certain things that she was able to shortly before that. So she got a little frustrated, but, uh, and Bob helped her through some of that. Um, I don't know if you helped her through it or you just helped her realize this is the end of the yeah. road for this. Did she get it figured out? Well, she she's just annoyed because she has to rebuild some of her models in like this new version of the software. And she's... Yeah, you shouldn't have to, though. It, uh, I think she figured something out. It was also that she had a shared folder with a friend and his thing was, wasn't so the shared folder limited mm. scope of some of those projects. And so a lot of the projects she was worried gotcha. about were in a shared folder. Anyway, she did figure out some stuff and you helped her reveal some unknown facts about the you know the new version but besides that she figured out some fusion slicing program so she's been designing some solid objects and then she slices them and then she figured out how to take that sliced object and turn it into several pieces for a cnc layout and completely over my head like i never did it i never sliced for cnc i never did that and i still haven't but she sent me over a bunch of stl files that were files she's like well I said I never, I was a little baffled. I was like, I never did this part of the CNC. I never like, there's like two versions of CNC. There's just literally using the router to cut a line on a line. And you can cut a step and then cut outside that step. And so it looks like 3D, but in actuality, they're all just 2D cuts. And that's what I've been doing since I started. Uh, I've been deathly afraid to learn the 3D version of STL files and then using that that part of Vectrix I was always afraid it was just going to open a giant Pandora's box of confusion for me. So I kept it simple and only just cut 2D vectors. Last night, Taylor challenged me in the first part of this model. She made this chair, and the whole bull nose of the chair is all rounded, and the, the first feet of the legs. So if you took any object and literally sliced it into three-quarter sh- thicknesses, the plywood, she made it really small, too. So it's a tiny version, which only takes eight slices of three-quarter inch plywood to put together just as a test. And last night, it took me about two hours playing with Vectrix and about, I'm proud of myself. I only had to watch a video for about four minutes before I realized what I was doing wrong. It was a 30 minute video. And then I got like into the four minute section and that's when I got my answer that I needed. And uh, from that point on, it really unlocked the blocks that I was having. But uh, I'll send you guys a picture. I'll show you. I didn't talk about it. We were playing around till about three in the morning, two in the morning on the CNC machine. But this is what I, I made. know you're using Vectrix for this, but yeah. I, I will throw in that um, Infusion. If oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like I said. Nice. It's oh. just like it looks like a chair is emerging from the bench, only because it's just the first slice of a mm-hmm. small little chair. It kind of if you could imagine a big giant chair that looks like a an Egyptian headrest. Anybody know what that looks like? Us art students may have seen that. Just like a big wooden thing that you would put your head in, but in this case, it's your butt. And so Taylor made a small version of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, it would all be like a solid object and not like a cushiony thing. But uh, mm. anyway, yeah, yeah. So, Bob, what were you saying about Fusion and 3D? Well, I was going to say, like, uh, you're in ve- Vectrix, but in Fusion, if you want to do a 3D operation like you're talking about, the simplest way to get into that is use the 3D adaptive uh, tool management thing like you'll see it when you go in there of course we cover it in our fusion course i'm not trying to pitch that but that is one of the things that we cover because you can easily get a 3d carve done using a single tool in fusion and it's adaptive so it works 
around the specifics of your model rather than if you wanted to go the other route, you could make multiple passes, like one that's a, 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 a big rough pass and then finer detail passes and then pockets. And you can do all that or you can use the 3D adaptive and it just figures out how to make the 3D object carve for you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the what she was doing, she was just outputting slices. So she didn't set up any tooling paths yeah. in Fusion. She was just put out output the slices to some program, and then I got those STL. So she sent me eight STL files in a folder, and each one of them is a different stage of the model. And uh, but it was uh, it was it was interesting. I even got to the point where I stopped. Uh, I set up my first cut, and it was going to take four hours. I mean, it's a little tiny thing, and we let it go for about twenty five minutes. And I said, "This got to be a faster way." So I jumped back in referred back to the video and I saw that I could adjust and edit a lot of the tooling properties right specifically to that cutting path. If anybody uses Vectrix, you realize there is a, a window, it says edit edit the tool and you can go in and you know depth the cut and it's step over, it's RPMs. But when you're in Vectrix, you can open up, edit the tool in that particular tool path and override the tool settings that are in the library and apply them only to that toolpath, which to me, I thought, like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. So that you could do, for instance, like if you're going to do like a, a raster cut where the tip of the bit feels over the whole object, if you have the tool depth set at 0.2, it's only going to raster over 0.2, then it's going to go down and go the second version, if you have to go down, you know, three steps, for instance. So it's going to repeat and cut everything twice because it's going to go down on the side of the tool and then the side of the object rather. The point I'm making is they said you can go in and adjust the depth of cut to five inches, even if it's a quarter inch, half an inch rather, 0.5. And you understand what I mean? You understand what I mean? Yeah. 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 So so that was a breakthrough for me because I didn't realize you couldn't, you can go down that deep, you know, you think as long as you have a roughing, a good roughing pass, and then you can go down and you can basically raster the whole model in one pass as opposed to having to do it three times to go all the way down three steps, for instance. Anyway, I had a couple of mm-hmm. big breakthroughs, which for me, when I have a little breakthrough like that, I immediately start associating with all the other breakthroughs like that I know of that are in that mm-hmm. category. And then I'm like, oh, I can connect this task to that task and I can connect this skill set to that skill set. So it, it, it's like popping a balloon. It's like, I, it, I'm like, oh, it was just that one little bottleneck that I didn't realize. And then when I get that one little explanation in the video, for instance, the biggest problem I was having for like almost an hour trying to develop the cut path was model boundary. It says, do you want to cut at the model boundary? And the bit won't go outside the model boundary unless you set an offset. You understand what I mean? Like, so it was only cutting the very top of the cut and every time I, I did a, a, a simulation, it wasn't going down to the bottom of the material. It was only just cutting the top part that's curved. And I couldn't figure out why, because I said, model only with no offset, which means the bit won't go outside the offset. If you offset it a quarter of an inch, which is the width of the bit, it will go outside the model to the bottom of the material. So that was driving me crazy. So I learned a tremendous hmm, amount. That's an interesting thing. You know, you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like I'm talking about Invectrix. I don't know what yeah. other software versions are, but again, if if I modeled this whole thing and I did the cutting path in Fusion, I'm sure I could open it up in Vectrix and you know I could import it in uh, into Vectrix rather. Yeah, of course I could. I can import so, it into the software um, for the Shopbot. Yeah. Um, did this like understanding of how, like how you could use this process now does that immediately 
launch anything in your head like, oh, this one thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time, now I understand how to do it? Or did it make any quick connections as to like yeah. how you can immediately use it? For well, you? I'll tell you, it's funny because I got I got my, my fourth axis. They gave me a fourth axis in the fall. Then I immediately went away to California. They gave me the fourth axis at, at, at uh, uh, ShopBot. And we had a one and a half hour lesson on the phone. It went really well. And I, me and Aaron were able to cut something. And then I haven't touched it since because I immediately forgot everything. Went to California. My whole life was basically put on hold for five weeks. And then I came back and I just completely forgot how to use that. But last night's exercise reminded me of certain things I need to do for the rotary thing. So I definitely want to do a video where I do a rotary cut. That'll force me. And when I say video, I mean, it's it's for me, it, it puts like a nail in it. It forces me to learn how to do something to completion. If I said, oh, I'm going to just make a table leg for myself, then I'll never do it. So, But if I say a video, it forces right. me to finish it and see it through. So playing around with the Vectrix, what is the Aspire? Vectrix has V-Carve Pro and then Aspire. Aspire is is a little bit more advanced and Aspire has some simpler settings for doing a fourth axis cut. So that's that was that was in my mind. I'm like, this is all preparation for me to do better on that. Or to get, you know, one successful cut without a teacher on that. And uh yeah, it just and now now my fear factor that I've had like since twenty thirteen is is gone. It's crazy. I just oh, always wow. avoid it. Because people see you doing C and C, they're like, oh but the 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 bottom line is is that I never was interested in 3D CNCing because I didn't really make any models. And all the the clip art that comes out of this is going to make me sound like a snobby artist, but so be it. All the clip art that comes out of that programming is not something I'm interested in. If you understand what I'm saying. Like when you go to these conventions where these guys that are just getting into CNC and they're doing, they're using all the clip art and they're doing these beautiful, I'm like, this is great. They're like, oh yeah, I got it online. So in my mind, I'm like, I really wouldn't use something that I didn't create. So almost everything in the 3D world is clip art combined with like, you know, a beautiful scene of an eagle next to a, you know, a cloud and trees. Like, that's cool. I think it's amazing. I like, I see the potential in the technology, but I would never cut any of that. And I would never model that. And so for me, I, the most I get out of these machines is just doing 2D vector cuts. And so I never modeled a, you know, a beautiful summer sunny day. I never modeled a picture of my grandbaby because I don't have one. So all these, <laughs> these, all these different things you can do at Vectrix that are amazing, I just never had the reason to do them. Dave? Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because I just upgraded from... I think it's called VCarve Desktop to VCarve Pro because the Pro mm -hmm. can do a bigger a, a bigger piece. And when I did that upgrade the other day, you got here's a choice of you get to choose one package of free clip art. And I'm going I'm like <laughs> I would never use any one of these packages. I eat them all. <laughs> Why do yeah. I have to choose one? Yeah. Yeah. All you that, get to have to choose one. All that clip art just looks like stuff you'd see at a table at a convention. It doesn't look like anything, you know. Yeah. It, it, and you're like, this is amazing. Oh, my God. And then you're like, I'll never, I'll never need a picture of a, a, a of a landscape, you know, with a little farmhouse in the middle of it, 3D carved for, like, you know, home sweet home. I'm never going to make that. But, but yeah. it's good to get started with learning that stuff. There's no doubt about it. Like, the And I had this conversation with Derek from Alden last night. The demonstration I saw at the Vectrix convention I went to three years ago was they took a lunar landscape, a lunar landing module, 
a 3D model from like Thingiverse, took it, crushed it down to like a, a height of like literally took that thing and turned it into like the image that would be on a coin. So from like Thingiverse, you got a model and then you squished it and foreshortened it forcefully and then cut it out. So like on a piece of plank of half inch piece of material, you had a beautiful image of that lunar landscape. That was that lunar lunar module. So he just picked that because it was a complicated object. But it's unbelievable. That's the type of thing. That, for me, is more exciting because mm. that's the type of thing that I would go and find an interesting piece of clip art that I would like, utilize it a way that it was never intended to be used by the originator, or even make up something, you know, now that I'm getting a little bit better in fusion. So, yeah. I had a vision cool. the other day, too. I, I, I had this concept. I wanted to see... I'm experimenting with making pens to potentially manufacture. And I always do the blacksmith twist. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if a pen was a blacksmith twist, but much more daintier and tapered to the point where it's kind of like a long tapered one. I know Greg's Garage makes a real blacksmith twist for a Sharpie, but I'm talking about more of like a a simulated one in plastic or, or cast material. And I opened up Fusion. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but let me let intuitively let me intuitively see if I can figure it out. And so I made a square, a perfect square, like a half inch square, and then I drew an eight inch line right in the center of that square. This is oh, this took me about twenty minutes to figure out. I'm telling you in three seconds. And I took that square and I said, okay, you could sweep this object along that axis, and you could sweep it. And then you could take that sweep and you can revolve it. And so I did, you know, 90 degrees. And so it literally just went, whoop. So it was a real gentle sweep. And I was like, oh, what if I make it 180? So by the time over eight inches, that square would go down and twist 180. Then I made it 5,000. And it went, Boop. it doesn't, sh- I'm making the sound. Mm. It didn't actually animate. But, <laughs> and, and by the time it went to the end, it looked like a, a beautiful curly a beautiful tape and then you could taper it so by the time it starts out say as a as a half inch square by the time it gets to the end of the eight inch sweep it could be you know a, a 0.3 inch square anyway i it was it was another breakthrough and that i sat down mm. in fusion i was like i have no idea how to do this but i know i was able to like sweep an object when i made s spoke things in a class i made an s spoke flywheel a couple of years ago and i used the lessons learned from that to apply to this and uh yeah so mm. That little technique, like doing a sweep, and that's what you would look for in the menu on Fusion, is uh, I was, think uh, is, is, you like, can, is eye-opening. One of the things that helps when you're doing like the 3D objects in, in Fusion is sometimes you can approach it like you're 3D printing, where you're doing an, like an additive process, and then sometimes you can approach it from a subtractive, like you start off with a block and then you remove material to to make the thing that you want to make. Fusion is still I can. I every like every two three months I'm like I'm gonna learn something new so I know how to do this, and then I know how to do it for that particular day and then I forget it and then I need to like relearn it. But yeah, um, and it'll come back to me pretty quick. But it's there's so many options and so many things that I I still find it overwhelming, especially when outputting to C and C. I'm just like you know what I'll just take this file go over to the Vetric software and it's a little bit more simple and it's a little bit easier for me to understand because I've never outputted anything directly from Fusion. There was just way too much going on. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what I'm looking at. Just get, throw it out there again that we have an online course that yes. covers it <laughs> and it's not as hard as you think. And and okay. honestly, I mean, I can, I can say that I totally agree with you. I was really against 
well, not against. I was not interested in learning the CNC part of Fusion for a long time because it just seemed overwhelming. And it can be if you decide to let it be. But there are some yeah. ways to get into, to just get the work done that you need to get done. And it may take longer to cut it that way, but you don't have to necessarily worry about the depth of knowledge that you're talking about. Because, I, I mean, I'm with you. It is a lot. It can be a lot. It's made to be a lot. But... It doesn't have to be. One of the things that we do point out in in our course is exactly what you said about Fusion is cool because if you are an additive person, if you're a woodworker and you build up from pieces, you can design that way. If you're a machinist where you start with a block of material and you subtract from it, you can model that way. If you're someone who works on a lathe and you are worried about profiles and then you build that way, you can model that way. Like It will end up with the same output but you can come at it from any of those different directions. Or if like you work in sheet metal, you can build that way. It's pretty wild as far as like how you can come into it. I'm not going to pitch our course anymore, <laughs> but if you are interested, go to fusion360formakers.com. You can get it. All right, David, what did you learn? So of course, like anything I do, I wait to the last minute to to do something. I'm like, oh, it's Tuesday or what is it? Tuesday night, I need to learn something new. And uh, a long time ago, I picked up this book. It's called Structural Packaging, Design, and Create Your Own Boxes. And um, this comes from an old library. And the cool thing about this book is they approach it, uh, it it's, it's for packaging, and it's you can get all these crazy designs. But it's, it's written almost like an art book. The, the photos in there are absolutely beautiful. The photography is amazing to give it like this very... Uh, like they're, they're using lighting from the side so you can see all these shadows fall on these paper boxes that you're making. So I thought I actually want to learn how to do some of this packaging stuff to somehow incorporate it into my video. So let's say I make a box, but then part of the video is also I make a silly package for the box as well so I can unbox the box or whatever. And so I started going through the book and I'm learning like, it it, it it takes you it starts very simple like this is how you would draw a tab this is you know how many panels you would need and these two panels need to be parallel and the same size and and all that and then it gets into like here's some complex packaging things that you can you can work on so i i i drew up like this octagon type box with a with a with a lid and illustrator and i'm like oh this is great um this is going to be really cool and this could be a video in itself of just me making making this this paper box, and I go to print it out on my printer, and I I got this error. I didn't even know what it meant, but it said your toner box is full. Replace t- waste toner thing. I'm like, what? I didn't even know there was a waste toner thing in my printer, so I didn't waste even get to toner? print out the thing. Before. I was gonna cut it out with an exacto knife and, and do all the thing, and um, I didn't make it because I ran into a roadblock and I could have redrew it up on graph paper, but I was already frustrated with the printer at this time and I was already done. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, I could get really ridiculous and I could cut the paper out with a laser cutter. And then I'm like, no, it's, it's negative five degrees. I'm not going out into the shop tonight. So mm. I got, I learned a little bit about structural packaging and packaging design but i didn't get to execute it but it's something that it would be really cool 
to do um, for future videos. I think, do I, Jimmy, did you do package d- design at one point in your life? Oh yeah, for the toy business, we would design our own package construction quite a bit. And uh, I still do it when I need to. I was in the middle of actually making, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did this thing where I dropped a, a cube that says I make, and I was gonna make a postcard that is a fold-up cube. And it would have looked like a child's block, whereas I-M-A-K-E on each one of the five surfaces, then my logo on the sixth surface. And then if you had six of them, you could spell out the word I make. Uh, I was going to do that, and I still am going to do that. I was working with a company that was going to make me the die, but something happened. Uh, it's it's a long story, but I have to find somebody else to make the die for me. But in the meantime, I can laser cut that. And uh, I, it's not the type of thing that you want to do for production because it doesn't it's not, it doesn't really you really want a die cutter. So you can just go boom, 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 boom. So you can make die lines and make a die cutter if you're going to make production. But the question was, yes, I've done package design. <laughs> <laughs> I have this um I just I I have uh, some some things in my head for uh art pieces. So I actually designed this package thing um that you know I screen print the design on there and then I cut this package out and then it's the the package is the art piece. Uh and, and so I and I've had this idea and this thought for a long time and I thought this is the opportunity for me to actually execute on this for this podcast. And then it didn't happen, but it's, it's still going to happen. And I, I still, um, I follow a couple of, of really cool, uh, artists on Instagram. Um, Bob mentioned one of them where they, the, the guy takes like various everyday objects and turns it into like, uh, um, it looks like it belongs on on a, on a J hook at a store. Do you know? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, obvious plant. Obvious, obvious plant. plant yeah. I think there's another one. Daniel Brown. He does really cool packaging. Turns it into art. And I'm like that, and I find that inspiring. So I kind of wanted to do my own version of that. So anyway, hmm. I didn't execute. Cool. Because I got frustrated. I want to. I just want to. You just reminded me of a story from the uh, from the early 2000s and the late 90s. There was. I'm smelling smoke, so I'm going to say the story quick and then go check the smoke. Uh, <laughs> there's smoke in my house. Um, hmm. There was a guy, I can't remember his name, is Art something, but he was the only guy in New York that owned a laser and had the technology, some expensive software, to design packaging. So in like 99, 2000, 2001, and so on, he was the only guy in all of New York that everybody would go to to get a package designed. Now you can Google a dye line and just laser cut it yourself. But he had like the only laser 20, 25 years ago in New York. I, I can't remember his name, but my, we used him on a rare occasion, but all the companies we worked for would use them. So we would say, you know, this is our suggested package shape. And then they would go to this guy, Art. I can't remember his full name. And Art would would make an, the design construction. And then he would send over the die file on a, you know, on a big layout. And you take that rolled up piece of paper to China and then they would make your die cut from that. And... Uh, how technology's changed now. Everybody can just, you know, think of a box, design it in Illustrator or whatever, or Fusion, and send it to a laser cutter. Or, no, or not even a laser cutter. You could just get one of those uh, circuit silhouette cutters, you know, from your exactly, local exactly. Michaels for yeah. 100 bucks. I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see if my pellet stove shut off. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself, but I can okay. hear you guys. All right. Well, mine is entirely different. I thought I remembered something about it not being something we would use. Oh. The thing that we had to learn. So 
I went in a different direction. I have a lot of things that like I want to learn or I want to understand, but I never they're never important enough for me to go look up at the time. Anyway, I've played piano since I was a kid, since I was six years old. And I like actively play piano every day now. I've started practicing again and I took classical lessons for a really long time. <clears throat> so I have a lot of experience with a piano. And in case you don't know, the internals of a piano, the way that it works is you have a, a board with a bunch of strings. Each note is multiple strings. You have strings running back. Underneath, there's a little wooden hammer with a felt covering on it. And then there's kind of a, it's not a complex mechanism, but there's a little mechanism. It's a multi-point mechanism that goes to the key. So when you press down on the front of the key, it pivots and then pushes this hammer up into the string and hits it. It bangs it. And so because of that, you have you have a bunch of different uh, dynamic options. Like if you hit it softly, the hammer is going to hit the, the, the string softly. If you hit it hard or if you hold it down, it's going to continue to let the thing ring. And then you also have pedals underneath uh, the piano that control... Uh, like one is a, a damper pedal, which will allow the strings to all continue to, to vibrate and make noise, or you can press this pedal down, or you can let go of the pedal, and it will basically lay something across the strings to dampen them. Okay, so you have a bunch of dynamic range and a bunch of control over what the strings do. And I've known that because that's piano to me. But there's the harpsichord is a thing that I know nothing about. And it's, it was the precursor to the piano. That's really all I've ever known in all of my years. So Lurch played. And so the other day... Huh? Lurch plays the harpsichord. Y- yes, he does. And it has a very specific sound. Like, if you hear a harpsichord, it's very plucky and very, like, bouncy and stuff. And I've never really known how they worked or what was different about them or why the piano became popular over the harpsichord. And the other day, one of my kids, who also plays piano, three of my kids are taking lessons, and they're amazing. Like, they're passing me at that age by far. It's also really cool because they're taking from the same woman who taught me when oh. I was their age. It's awesome. Anyway. That's amazing. So three of them are taking lessons. One of them, the the youngest of the three, came and said, did you know that a harpsichord doesn't change volume when you play really hard on it? And I'm like, wait, what? How do you know that? And he was like, yeah, we were talking about it in music class today and it's like there's no uh, different volume. I'm like, okay, I need to understand what's <laughs> different about a harpsichord now. So I went looking this up. This is all Wikipedia stuff and a little bit more research. But the mechanism is what I I knew there had to be a significant difference. Instead of it being a hammer on a string that you're hitting a string, it is basically a guitar pick. Not a guitar pick, but it's a little point, a flexible point that sticks out of a piece of wood. And it passes, it's underneath the string, and it goes and plucks the string from the side. So it moves up bends and grabs the string and then when it passes it it plucks it so instead of it being a a percussive like i'm gonna hit and back off and let the string vibrate it's passing it like a guitar pick would pass a string wow and plucking it but because of the and then above it there's also a little damper so the string is captured in between this little plucker and the damper above so when you let go of the key that entire mechanism comes down and the damper lays on the string to dampen it. So you have no sustain. So it's plucked until it's not plucked and then it stops, which is why when you listen to the harpsichord, it has that little like plucky kind of bouncy, you know, it's just hitting the notes. But also because of the way that the, the 
pivot point works and the piece that's moving and the piece that's not moving, you don't have dynamic range. I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of dynamic range, but there's not anywhere close to a piano. And by dynamic range, for anybody who's not a musician, I'm talking about volume. You have no volume control. Um, so it's very plucky. There's kind of two pieces that move up and down, and they move across these strings that run front to back. And the reason it's called a harpsichord is because it's basically a harp laying on its side. I don't know why that never occurred to me, but it didn't. <laughs> and so if you look at the profile of this thing, there's strings laying across a nut and a bridge, just like a guitar. And then on one end, there's tuning pegs that you can push in and out to tension or untension the string, which changes the tuning of the string based on how, how much it's stretched. It's really fascinating to me just to look at... there On uh, Wikipedia, there's a the uh, diagram of the mechanism from the side. So you see all the parts laid out and you can see how it would move up and down. The balance pin is in a very different place than it would be for a, a piano. Well, no, no, very different. It's in a, a different place than a piano key would be. And so because of that, the, pian- the harpsichord key bounces back in a different way than the piano key does. Uh, also, the harpsichord doesn't have any pedals. So you don't have a way to have sustain across the entire soundboard and you don't have a way to dampen it you don't really need to because each note dampens itself when you let go of the key anyway it was pretty cool to just have a little question about well why can't you change the volume of it and then to look into it and see how the whole mechanism works and how it's different from the piano and why people stopped playing them because when i looked further into that it was like well uh if you can't control, if you have two instruments, one gives you more control than the other, of course you're going to go to the one that gives you more control. You can be more expressive with volume. You can be more expressive with the way that you play. It also has a different number of octaves. It has, it's mechanically different, takes up a different amount of space. You know, there's a bunch of reasons why it came, the piano came into favor over the harpsichord, but the thing that was really interesting, interesting to me was the difference in mechanism that instead of it being a hammer, it's more of a, a it's called a plectrum, is the little thing that flicks the string. It's really interesting. So. It's, it's, it's definitely provoking me to go look it up and listen to it because I remember hearing about the harpsichord in music class. I mean, I was never a formal student of music, but in, in general, in America, you've got to go to music class when you're a kid. But the teacher talked about the harpsichord as, as like an antique machine that people don't use anymore and, and, and that's obviously true i joked about you hear it in the the adams family i remember uh uh lurch would play the harpsichord but it is it's like an old machine it's an old uh instrument that you would you might associate with like the 1700s composers. yeah it's like the baroque period that's yeah. that's when it was popular um i did say that there were no pedals and that's not entirely true i forgot about this there are pedals in the same way that an organ might have pedals, where you can play the lower registers with your pedal, with your feet on pedals rather than using the pedals for sustain and volume. But um, yeah, so the, it was it was definitely big in the Baroque music and Renaissance, kind of late Renaissance era. And a lot of the music that was written for it, which this is another thing that I learned that I had no idea about. I've played tons of classical music, all different uh, time periods and I never really thought it like it all kind of lumps together in my mind as like it's old <laughs> so I don't know it, like you know Beethoven and Bach and 
Haydn and they're all it's all old, right? It's all classical music. But then it dawned on me after reading a little bit that a lot of this stuff was written on harpsichord for harpsichord, mm-hmm. which means you don't have a way to hold a note. And then when you go to play it on a piano, you can make it sound entirely different. And so there's actual big discussion online about whether you should be playing Bach with a piano or not, or whether you should use the sustain pedal or not, because it changes the intention of the original composer. A bunch of stuff like that that I never even considered. Could I mean, you? I don't care. I'm going to play it. But, <laughs> could you? Could you, know. you imagine the uh, the trolls on that type of site? Oh my god. <laughs> educated trolls are probably harpsichord trolls. Yeah, oh my god, educated trolls are the worst. <sighs> harpsichord uh, nerds. Yeah. Oh. So the so the piano to the harpsichord is like the CNC to the scroll saw. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's only one way to do it. Yep. 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 <laughs> So that's that's my thing. That was I don't great. Know. That's that was what I learned. Very it was like your that was like your, yeah. your mini mini TEDx talk. It was good. It was. It, it <laughs> you totally my, uh, my book report took the like the like today's lesson is approach like you like you were a teacher. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think we should do this again, but I think we should maybe not next week, but we should do this thing again, and we should every time set different parameters on it. So yeah, okay. like, you know. I, I don't know, in the future, we'll come up with some. People can let us know on Twitter or whatever, but, like, learn a thing that you will absolutely never use or learn a thing that is contrary to something about you or, you know, yeah. something to that effect. Maybe it'll be All fun. Right. Now, we'll, we'll text, anyway, you guys we'll got text, anything else? We'll text stuff? each other the day before the podcast going, what was the rules? What, what were we supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, unless you guys have anything else, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters. Big thanks to them to let us do stuff like this and have shows where we ramble on about these <laughs> harpsichords and things like that. Uh, big thanks to our top supporters over there. Odin Leather Goods, Corey from Makeshape Create, Rich at Low and Design, Blondie Hacks, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations. You can make this too. Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. But there's a big list, as always, of other people, and we are really grateful for all of them as well. Everybody gets the after show. I don't know what we're going to talk about today in the after show, but something, something that only patrons will hear about. Something we learned that way. Um, so if you want to get the after show or you just want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. We would appreciate it. We are very grateful. We don't have to look for sponsorships at all for this podcast because of patrons. So thank true. you. True. To all of them. True. You guys got anything cool to recommend? I have something, and I'm going to apologize that most people won't be able to access it. But it was something that mm-hmm. I just I really, really love. So, again, I'm going to masterclass.com, hashtag not sponsored. But I really love this site. Uh, it's, it's just it's it's another one of those learning course sites, and you pay one time for the entire year, and it's and it's fantastic. But um, and so I've watched a, a few of the music ones and and the photography ones and I needed something for background stuff while I was working in the shop. And I'm like, Oh, I'll throw on the Spike Lee teaches independent filmmaking. I'm not going to make if a film like a story plotted film, but I'll throw this on in the background. And I was just so inspired after watching this, like Spike Lee talks about, you know, the creative process and, and um, using paper 
which I'm trying to use more instead of taking notes on my phone, like writing things down on paper and just storytelling. And it was just super inspiring. And it just made me want to create. So if you happen to have a masterclass.com subscription, please watch the Spike Lee teaches independent filmmaking. It's, it's so good. And he's just a really calm, gentle approach to like showing his creative process. It was just super inspiring. Hmm. Cool. What you got, Jimmy? Uh, there's a great little documentary. It's kind of like a little, uh, <clears throat> I guess it's a documentary, but it was an experiment more than a documentary. It's on HBO Go or something. I don't know. Teller puts these things on. I don't even know where they come from. I'm always Googling stuff on Netflix. She's like, it's not on Netflix. It's on something else. So a former student of mine who was a student of mine in the, in the, in the 90s, I talk about Nick Bilton from time to time. He's an he's a, uh, investigative reporter for Vanity Fair. And also a technology reporter. He knows a lot about technology and apps and everything. He did a video called Fake Famous. He did a, a documentary called Fake Famous with HBO where he picks three people out of a casting call and tries to make them famous. And uh, it works for one of them who's actually doing well. So it was great. And then uh, that prompted me to send him a message. Wow. And, and he and I reconnected. We haven't talked in about a year, but I just sent him a congratulatory note and uh we started talking about, uh, I said, I'm fake famous. I said, I'm, I'm an influencer as well. And he laughed and he goes, no, no, you're a creator. He goes, I've been following you all along. He goes, you're not an influencer. He uses the word influencer like in a little bit of a degradatory term. He's like, you're not an influencer. You're a creator. He goes, don't ever call yourself an influencer. So I thought that was funny. But uh, check it out. It's actually really interesting. Hmm. And you could see how, uh, how easy it is to buy likes, comments, and uh, people that follow you. You could literally pay for them in five and ten thousand dollar lots. Five and yeah, you know, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like he just he yeah. started developing some fame for these people and some you know fan interaction. And uh, you know if you, it's funny from time to time you see somebody put up a picture. They might have they might have like hundreds of thousands of people, but if you go through their content, no one's commenting on it. And you're like, how could they have so many people and no one's commenting? Nick sort of made it clear that you have to buy people, then you have to buy likes, and then you have to buy comments. And not everybody does that. Ooh. And then so people start having like a hollow account because there's no interaction. Huh. And the lights, are, but the bells That's, are going off. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. If you can get a chance to look at it, you can Google the, the trailer for it on youtube that was i looked at it because when i first heard he made the thing i looked at it on youtube it was a it's like a three-minute trailer for it which pretty much tells the story i have heard about that um i've seen it posted about quite a few times lately i didn't know who was somebody that you knew though that's cool yeah nick was a student of mine and he was it's so funny it's it's he, he's exactly the same as he was when he was a student he was always very inquisitive and always very uh very curious about everything and actually i i i Nick was the very first person. Nick Bilton told me, you should get an Apple computer because you're creative, and that's what creatives use. And so I bought my very first Apple computer because Nick prompted me to. I got my first version of Photoshop because Nick gave me a hack version. I got my first version of Illustrator because Nick got it for me. I got my first version of Final Cut because Nick got it for me. So Nick was, you know, that you meet people in your life. And even though he was a student of mine, I was equally a student of his. So he'll never hear this, but just... He's one of those people that, you know, you, you meet and for some reason they, they're put in your life and your life 
takes another direction, but you're not aware of it at the time. It takes a few years to look back and realize, wow, if I hadn't met this person in my life, so many things would be different right now. And Nick was one of those people for me. And I'm happy that he's doing so well. He's written several books and Hmm. now he lives in in LA and he's producing content through production companies for, for TV. He wrote the book Hatching Twitter, which was all about the beginning of Twitter, which I've heard rumors they're going to turn that into like a docudrama series somewhere. The beginning of Twitter with, you know, actors and stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Well, I have two, um, and they're both totally random. So one is the new Slow Mo Guys video. He talks about and shows in slow motion how a 16 millimeter uh, film camera works, which technically I knew, but it was really cool to see it in slow motion. And what he does, one thing that's really interesting is he takes a roll of film and he draws a number, 1 through 24, on frames so that as it passes over the shutter, you can see uh, how how the synchronization between the shutter and the spindle or the whatever the spool, how that happens. And then he at one point he takes the shutter cover off so you can actually see it move. And it's just amazing that this 50-ish year old Russian camera, uh, the internal mechanics are still perfectly timed. And the fact that the shutter can open and close and the thing behind it's locking into place in these small increments and, and it all happens super quickly. So it's a really cool little thing just to see, especially if you don't understand how old film cameras work. Yeah, no, I was saying it's amazing that, that yeah, it's amazing that it actually stops for the, for the exposure. It's rolling yeah. through, but it literally stops for exposure and then moves to the next one. If it's either filming or projecting, it's really filming, right? Projecting, I guess it's the same thing. It happens the same way both times. No, it's the same thing. It happens. Yeah. yeah it happens the same way. Um, but it's really cool. The other one is a random video that just showed up on YouTube for me, and I don't know why. It's like an old clip of a 60 Minutes episode. And the host, whoever this guy is, I guess had been interviewing this uh, piano prodigy, this little girl who's maybe 10, something like that. And he gives her a hat with notes in it, and she pulls out four notes, and she thinks about it for like 30 seconds, and then plays this incredible, like mind-blowing improvisation based on those four notes hmm. like that gives her the melody and they're weird like when she plays the four in 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 sequence there it's not like a oh that sounds good you know it's like oh and she in her mind just in her mind not with her hands just comes up with this thing and then plays it and you're listening to it and it keeps going and it keeps going wow. and it gets more complex and she comes back around and plays the beginning part again and she gets done and i'm just like what in the world? Like how I don't I don't know how your brain can do that. And anybody's brain. It's Incredible. unbelievable. And it's a clip probably from twenty years ago or something. I mean, it's not like a new thing, but that came up for me recently story. as well. Did it? Yeah. Weird. I don't yeah. well, maybe she's famous now or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, go check those out. They're pretty cool. We're going long today. You guys got anything else? I think we're done. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Later. Love you. Love you.